Hey, Faye, it's Creog season again, um, and so we need to help residents figure out the best way to study aside from just listening to the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that um, we did when we were residents was to look at the OBG project, which can give you really quick updates on the most up-to-date practice guidelines, as well as create your own library where you can go back to those guidelines um, that you specifically like. Head on over to our website, creogservercoffee.com, and check out the sidebar. Chief residents, you can get OBG first, the premium product, absolutely free for your chief year. That'll cover you for creogs as well as your board studying. And residents, you can also benefit from the resident core curriculum, absolutely free. Again, head over to our website, creogservercoffee.com, check out the sidebar. Happy studying. All right, guys, welcome back. This is Faye. This is Nick. And this is Creogs Over Coffee. Coffee. Today, we are going to be doing a very exciting update on one of our um, oldest podcasts, I think, probably in like the first 20. Um, we're going to be talking about osteoporosis. Um, so Nick, talk us through our learning objectives for today. Yeah. So first we'll again, define osteoporosis and related conditions to osteoporosis. We'll review risk factors for osteoporosis. We'll then discuss screenings. We'll discuss screening strategies. And then finally, we'll spend time talking about preventive therapies um, endorsed by ACOG to prevent osteoporosis and related fractures. Yeah, Faye, it's interesting. One of our first episodes, you're right, back in December 2018 was about osteoporosis, and that was using ACOG Practice Bulletin 129, which is now withdrawn. ACOG made a big change over the summer in clinical practice documents that I think people start to notice going forward, where practice bulletins are going to get their name changed to clinical practice guidelines, or CPGs, I like, reflecting their main purpose as guideline documents. Committee opinions are also going to undergo a name change. They're going to get split into two groups known as either clinical consensus or committee statement documents. And then there's going to be the new categories of practice advisories and then obstetric care consensus documents will stay the same. Um, there's more on the ACOG website about these particular changes and what exactly they mean. Um, but the first bulletin to get the CPG treatment is osteoporosis. So we're reviewing CPG number one. Now that we've gotten that little bit of background out of the way, let's get into the background on osteoporosis. So osteoporosis is the generalized loss of bone mass and decline in bone quality leading to increased fracture risk. And we care because 8.2 million women over the age of 50 have osteoporosis compared to just 2 million men. 71% of fractures in osteoporotic people occur in women, and 50% of women over 50 will have an osteoporotic fracture, which is kind of scary to think about. Yeah. An additional 27.3 million women have low bone mineral density, formerly known as osteopenia. And unfortunately, only 24% of women age 60 and older receive osteoporosis treatment in the year after a fracture. And so we definitely need to have more awareness of this. And as OBGYNs, we can advocate for therapy for our patients. So what are some risk factors aside from obviously female sex, Nick? Age is certainly another big risk factor that we have to associate with osteoporosis, as you talked about, particularly over the age of 50, we really worry and think about this. Um, other risk factors are a BMI under 20 or a body weight less than 127 pounds, smoking, 
alcohol use, particularly more than three drinks a day, a parental history of a hip or spine fracture, and then varying conditions, diseases, or medications that are associated with secondary osteoporosis. And there's really a long list of things. Some of them in the clinical practice guideline include HIV AIDS and antiretroviral drugs, anorexia nervosa, diabetes, gastric bypass, hyperparathyroidism, um, premature ovarian insufficiency or Turner syndrome or the use of aromatase inhibitors or GnRH agonists, anti-epileptic drugs, chronic steroid use. I, the list goes kind of on and on of things that can kind of cause secondary osteoporosis. Finally, the CPG um, refers to concern for racial variation in osteoporosis, with white and Hispanic populations noted to have highest fracture risk. However, black patients and Hispanic patients are less likely than white patients to actually get DEXA screening after a hip fracture, and they're less likely to receive osteoporosis treatment when it's indicated. Black women also paradoxically have higher rates of one-year mortality, destitution, and other major adverse events following a fracture compared to white patients. Um, now, there are varying studies that have started to look at the multifactorial reasons for this inequity and have pointed to stuff including healthcare practitioner bias, patient mistrust of the healthcare system, other social determinants of health, or some complex interplay of these particular factors. So again, even though it's listed that white and Hispanic populations have higher fracture risk, black patients may actually be under-identified and they're provably less likely to actually receive treatment than white or Hispanic counterparts. All right. So, Faye, I'm going to let you handle bone physiology because I think you probably have a good sense of this. Uh, I don't know if I do, but I will certainly try. <laughs> so 90% of bone mass is acquired during childhood and adolescence. So it's really important for your younger patients to have a good foundation in nutrition and physical activity to basically set up long-term bone health. Peak bone mass is in adolescence and has been correlated with a later life fracture risk. So having good bone health in adolescence can correlate to a better outcome later in life. Bone mineralization and buildup in puberty is modified and optimized by things like sex steroids, predominantly estrogen, in both young girls and boys. And peak density is achieved around age 19 in women and about 20 and a half in men. In adulthood, bone is comparatively in physiologic equilibrium. There's formation of new bone, which is facilitated by osteoblasts, if we think about, you know, back all the way in medical school, and comes to a rate equal to or slightly surpassed by bone resorption, which is facilitated by osteoclasts. Over time, this begins to favor resorption more and more and is part of aging. The loss of estrogen seen in menopause can actually trigger a time-limited rapid bone loss in women that's not seen in men, and there are countering views on whether this is a pathologic or physiologic process. Um, but age also plays a factor. An 80-year-old person is at much higher risk for fracture than a 50-year-old person with the same bone min mineral density. So now that we've kind of reviewed that, Nick, what are some of the prevention strategies for our patients to try and not have osteoporotic fractures? Yeah, I think this is something, Faye, when you do a well visit, um, is really easy to look over, right? Especially if you're talking to your 20-something or 30-something, where at least in our worlds, we're often talking to them about pregnancy. Um, but how often are we talking to them about preserving their bone health for their 70s and their 80s, right? But prevention really boils down to two primary things, physical activity and then calcium and vitamin D supplementation. 
To start with activity, ACAI recommends routine aerobic physical activity and weight-bearing exercise to maintain bone health and prevent bone loss. Um, you can recall those CDC recommendations that you've probably seen before um, that ask for 150 to 300 minutes per week of moderate intensity exercise or 75 to 150 minutes a week of vigorous aerobic exercise or some combination thereof. Weight-bearing exercises appear to have the most benefit. Specifically mentioned in the CPG are free weights, resistance bands, jogging, stepping, and jump rope. ACOG also advises that patients who are in the menopausal transition and who have already gotten into menopause, that they are intentional in particular with exercise because weight-bearing, high-force exercise, or high-intensity interval training-style exercise have demonstrated small but significant increases in bone mineral density um, despite kind of the age and menopause becoming a factor for those patients. Interestingly enough, Tai Chi gets special mention in the CPG um, because it's been proven in postmenopausal women to improve balance, prevent falls, and actually may also have beneficial effect on bone mineral density and bone turnover. Faye, what about calcium and vitamin D? So calcium and vitamin D are definitely important, and ACOG does recommend consumption of appropriate amount of these nutrients. Um, calcium for uh, patients who are age 19 to 50 should be 1,000 milligrams a day. And for those that are over the age of 50, they should be consuming 1,200 milligrams. And if they don't get that through their daily diet, then they should be put on a supplement. Vitamin D, up to the age of 70, patients should have 600 international units per day. And after age 70, it should be 800. Patients with a history of vitamin D deficiency may actually need additional vitamin D on top of that. Um, but the U.S. PSTF and Endocrine Society don't actually recommend screening for vitamin D deficiency in asymptomatic adults, meaning like don't do routine screening for something like this. All right, Nick. So we've talked now about, you know, the scary things um, and prevention and things like that of osteoporosis. So now how do we actually diagnose this in our patients? So I think a lot of us, when posed with this question outright, would say, oh, get a DEXA. Um, but you don't just want to jump to your DEXA. Um, you really need, again, an H&P to know who might benefit from a DEXA. Height loss, for instance, is one interesting thing to keep track of, and this can be an indicator of an asymptomatic vertebral fracture. There's actually evidence to suggest that you should consider doing vertebral imaging by x-ray or by DEXA if a 0.8 inch or 2 centimeter loss in height is noted over one to three years, or a loss of one and a half inches or four centimeters is noted since a patient's peak height, typically around age 20. Risk assessment tools can identify patients who can benefit from DEXA screening, the most common of which, and the one you've probably heard of, is known as the FRAX score. This tool is used to identify patients prior to a DEXA who may be at high risk of fracture, and then also can identify patients after a DEXA who may benefit from osteoporosis treatment, which we'll discuss more later. So really, there are two primary categories of folks who should get a DEXA. It's recommended universally in women at age 65 years or older as a one-time screen, and then is recommended in patients prior to age 65 if they're postmenopausal and have a FRAX score prior to a DEXA indicating an 8.4% or greater risk of major osteoporotic fracture in the next 10 years. So again, pre-DEXA FRAX of 8.4% or greater if the patient is prior to age 65. 
That's equivalent to the 10-year risk of a 65-year-old white woman without other major risk factors. And important to note, actually, this is a lower risk cutoff than previous recommendations that used a 9.3% risk cutoff to recommend a DEXA. So now it's 8.4% to get a DEXA. Finally, ACOG in this document actually suggests repeat DEXA only in patients that have an initial test that is near the treatment threshold for osteoporosis or if some risk factor changes significantly. For instance, if a patient develops an autoimmune disease and then gets started on long-acting glucocorticoid therapy. Generally speaking, this isn't going to be any sooner than two years after an initial screen. Um, and for patients of average risk, there's really not a consensus on whether or when to repeat DEXA screening. So you're really only thinking about that for patients who, again, develop or have significant risk factors. Okay, so Faye, tell me a little bit more about DEXA and what information we gather from it. Yeah, so we already said that we can diagnose things like osteoporosis and low bone mineral density. And so the way that that's defined is um, hasn't really changed. Osteoporosis is still defined is a T-score of less than minus 2.5 standard deviations. And low bone mineral density is defined as a T-score of minus 1 to minus 2.5 standard deviations. So remember, the T-score is calculated by looking at an individual's bone mineral density measurement at the hip or spine in comparison to a mean for a healthy young adult reference population. And that is different from a Z-score, which the DEXA also reports, which basically compares an individual's bone mineral density versus the mean of the patient's same age, sex, and ethnicity, so in the same population as your patient. ACOG does note that further research is needed to explore the contributors to T and Z-score differences based on race and ethnicity. Osteoporosis can also be diagnosed outside of just using the DEXA. So um, if there's a history of a fragility fracture, including an asymptomatic vertebral fracture, that's diagnostic of osteoporosis. And also a T-score consistent with low bone mineral density and an increased risk of fracture as determined by a risk assessment tool such as the FRAC scale can also diagnose osteoporosis. Specifically, if there's a greater than 20% risk of major fracture or greater than or equal to 3% risk of hip fracture in the next 10 years. So let's say our patient has low bone mineral density or has osteoporosis. What are some of the things that we can consider for treatment for them? So ACOG really in this new clinical practice guideline spends a significant part of the document asking OBGYNs to assess fall risk in patients with low bone mineral density or osteoporosis. Um, some of these things you're going to be thinking about or asking about are to identify impairments in patient's mobility um, or if the patient has medical conditions or medications that may sedate or impair their balance or gait. Um, and also thinking about environmental factors in the home, so things like loose throw rugs or poor lighting um, to assess their fall risk overall and providing education about modifications that can limit their risk for falls. It's also worthwhile to encourage patients, particularly those seniors, to engage in exercise to help reduce their risk, as we've already mentioned a couple of times through the podcast. Um, in the new clinical practice guideline, they really don't focus on treatment of osteoporosis beyond this, though. Um, in the old practice bulletin, they actually got into a pretty big discussion regarding varying potential therapies um, for osteoporosis. And this 
change likely reflects the fact that most of us as OBGYNs aren't treating osteoporosis primarily. We're usually referring out to endocrinology to prescribe or monitor some of these therapies. Um, but Faye, I think it's probably good to just have some familiarity to be able to counsel our patients. So let's go through a few of those things as we did in our previous podcast. Sure. So um, the first thing to consider is a bisphosphonate. And these are all those medicines that end in like dronate or dronic acid. So like alendronate, alendronic acid. Bisphosphonates have demonstrated efficacy of reducing fracture risk by 35 to 65%. Um, often you limit the therapy to less than five years due to limited data on use beyond that. And there are some very strange side effects associated with them. So for example, um, patients who have significant reflux or esophageal trauma should not take things like bisphosphonates. And so patients also need to stand upright for 30 to 60 minutes after taking the medication. The other weird thing to like remember as part of your boards or part of your creogs is that bisphosphonates can be associated with something like osteoporosis necrosis of the jaw. These are fortunately very rare, but I feel like they always show up on exams for some reason. Yeah. The other thing to consider is raloxifene. So raloxifene is a CIRM. It's a selective estrogen receptor modulator and has agonistic effects on the bone and antagonistic effects on breast and the uterus. So it's a good choice in patients with risks and uh, risks for things like breast cancer, or uterine cancer, or even have a history of something like that with concomitant osteoporosis. The big side effect of raloxifene is to consider VTE. Consider it very carefully in someone who has a history of a stroke, PE, or DVT before you actually prescribe it. And then some other things that we as OBGYNs generally don't prescribe are things like calcitonin, denosumab, recombinant PTH, other options that you should know about and be familiar with in terms of the names. But again, most of the time, OBGYNs are not uh, prescribing these medications. The last thing um, to consider is, is something like hormone replacement therapy. It is not approved for the treatment of osteoporosis, but it has been shown to reduce risk of fracture in perimenopausal or postmenopausal women by about 33 to 36% based on the Women's Health Initiative study. A reasonable adjunct to have for patients with low bone mineral density and no other considerations or contraindications. And we did cover HRT a long time ago as well in this podcast with Dr. Eager. And so it's a way to kind of tell your patients like kind of, hey, this is kind of like a beneficial side effect potentially of HRT. All right, Nick, I think that brings us to the end of our podcast. So let's go ahead and summarize. Yeah. So we started off talking about osteoporosis as a generalized loss of bone mass and decline in bone quality, leading to increased fracture risk. And it's really common and important for patients that OBGYN sees. Again, 8.2 million women over the age of 50 have osteoporosis, and 50% of women over the age of 50 will have an osteoporotic fracture in their lifetime. Risk factors for osteoporosis other than female sex are things like age, so particularly patients over the age of 50, other things like BMI under 20 or body weight, as well as some habits like smoking, alcohol use, and family history. There are a lot of conditions that can be associated with secondary osteoporosis, like HIV and AIDS, anorexia, diabetes, etc., but it's definitely not an exhaustive list, though we will put some of these onto our website. There's also a discussion of some racial variation where white and Hispanic populations have a higher fracture risk compared to black patients. However, black patients tend to have a higher rate of one-year mortality, destitution, and other major adverse events following a fracture. It's important to know also that Hispanic patients and black patients are less likely to obtain things like DEXA scans and treatment for their osteoporosis. 
We talked a bit about bone physiology, and it's important to recognize that most, that is 90% of bone mass is acquired during childhood and adolescence. So setting a good foundation in physical activity and nutrition is important for long-term bone health. Peak bone mineral density is about age 19 in women and 20 and a half in men. And then over time, bone formation facilitated by osteoblasts comes at an equal rate to and ultimately is surpassed by bone resorption. And the loss of estrogen in menopause triggers frequently in women a rapid bone loss that's not seen in men. Um, and age certainly plays a risk factor here as well, um, increasing the risk for fracture even further. Prevention strategies essentially boils down to physical activity and vitamin D and calcium supplementation. Activity really should be focused on things like aerobic physical activity and weight-bearing exercise to maintain bone health and prevent bone loss. And then there's also recommendations for certain amounts of calcium and vitamin D supplementation depending on the patient's age. Diagnosis, don't jump straight to your DEXA. Know who might benefit using your HNP. Height loss can be an indicator of asymptomatic vertebral fractures. Risk assessment tools such as the FRAC score can identify patients under the age of 65 who'd benefit from screening. Remember to get your DEXA universally in women who are age 65 or older as a one-time screen. And then prior to age 65, you're going to consider DEXA in patients who have a pre-DEXA FRAC score indicating an 8.4% or greater risk of major osteoporotic fracture in the next 10 years. Repeat DEXA can be considered in patients with significant risk factors or who develop risk factors, though generally not any sooner than two years after an initial screen. Osteoporosis can be defined by a T-score, and remember, T-score is when you compare the bone mineral density of your patient to a general healthy population, is when the T-score is less than minus 2.5 standard deviations, or if there's evidence of low bone mineral density where the T-score is minus 1 to minus 2.5, and a history of a fragility fracture, or um, an increased risk of fracture as determined by something like the FRAC score. So if there's a greater than or equal to 20% risk of major fracture or greater than or equal to 3% risk of hip fracture in the next 10 years. ACOG spends a significant part of the new clinical practice guideline talking about fall prevention. So in your patients who are at risk, identify those impairments in mobility, medical conditions, medications, or environmental factors that may predispose your patients to falling. And then, as always, encourage your senior patients to engage in exercise um, to help reduce their risk. All right. I guess that brings us to the end of this podcast, Nick. So once again, this is Faye. This is Nick. And this has been Creogs Over Coffee. So guys, if you enjoyed the episode today, head on over to Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, whatever your podcatcher is. Give us a five-star rating and review. You can find us on social media on Twitter at CreogsOverCoff1, on Facebook and Instagram at CreogsOverCoffee. And if you want to support the show, go ahead and go into our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash CreogsOverCoffee. You can find show notes for this episode as well as all of our previous episodes and our Rosh Review Question of the Week on our website, CreogsOverCoffee.com. And if you want to suggest another episode for us or give us a correction for previous episodes, go ahead and email us at careeroverkoffee at gmail.com. <laughs>